Welcome to our Clothe with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Monday, August the 28th, 2023. It is the 21st Monday of Ordinary Time and the Feast of St. Augustine. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You lock the kingdom of heaven before men. You do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow entrance to those trying to enter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You traverse sea and land to make one convert, and when that happens, you make him a child of Gehenna twice as much as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If one swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if one swears by the gold of the temple, one is obligated. Blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if one swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if one swears by the gift on the altar, one is obligated. You blind ones, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? One who swears by the altar swears by it and all that is upon it. One who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. One who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who is seated on it. Okay. I just had one little thought as I was reading. For those who use God's name in vain, think about what you're doing. I don't mean you. I know my listeners typically don't go around saying stuff like that. But I hear it all the time when I'm out in the world people saying GD or oh my God, or, you know, not saying it as a prayer, saying it more like a curse or people that just say GC or JC, uh, you know, using our savior's name in a, in a profane way. And Jesus says it right here. One who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who is seated on it. We should approach such things with fear and trembling. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about the meaning of this reading. This is uh, the one time, it's one of a few times, where Jesus really loses his mind. We have talked about spiritual pride being the greatest sin. I've preached about that a couple times recently. And yesterday, I was talking about Peter and I ran out of time yesterday. Yesterday I was running around. I actually, uh, I was out in the morning and so I, did, I wasn't able to do the podcast uh, from my computer at home because I had visited a, um, a, a display, an exhibit and a, and a talk uh, that was given on Blessed Carlo Acutis, um, who is a, uh, he's incorrupt by the way, he's going to be a saint. And he was, I think, 15 when he died. He lived 1991 to 2006. And he had uh, created a website before he died. And this is as a 14, 15-year-old documenting over 150 church-approved Eucharistic miracles. And uh, I was just looking at it yesterday for the first time, and it's really well done. 
And man, everybody needs to see that. His legacy needs to just be spread everywhere. Plus the fact that he's incorrupt. I mean, so we have another saint and it's a saint for our contemporary day. It's a saint also for young people. And talk about somebody who is the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here, these Pharisees. Here's a kid. Here's a kid who's humble and he's good. And he just wants to serve the Lord, specifically Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, and, you know, I spent a little time in adoration after listening to the talk, and it was powerful. Just just the whole experience was powerful yesterday. So, yeah, I was driving in my car, and then I realized I still had to do my podcast. But the podcast yesterday was about, you are Peter on this rock, I build my church. So a little bit of an establishment of the papacy and the importance of the papacy, the history, very quick little brief history of the papacy And I wanted to go further with that into how over the ages, we have good popes and we have bad popes. And we believe the church is protected from error when it comes to its doctrine. So yes, a pope will not be able to give us official doctrines. (laughs) You know, the pope speaking infallibly in union with the bishops uh, is not able to tell us things that are incorrect when it comes to faith and morals. But other than that, yeah, a Pope can make mistakes and our bishops can make mistakes and we have to be discerning, you know, how we, we're not supposed to judge people, but we can, you know, cause who knows what a person's going through, where they've been, who's hurt them, whatever. But we can certainly judge things. We can judge statements and words and sentences and we can judge whether an action is morally good or morally bad, even if we're not judging the person, pray tell. So Jesus is talking about the Pharisees here. And yes, we are living in a day and age in the church where, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to say it, and I don't mean to cause scandal. I doubt my listeners here are in a place where they're going to be driven away by the from the faith by what I talk about. Um But yeah, we're living in a day and age where the money on the altar is more important than the altar itself. How do I know that? Well, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, this whole presentation was amazing. But you know what? Standard, typical Novus Ordo Sunday Mass. They talk before, they talk during, they talk after. And I'm spending a little bit of time in adoration. It was supposed to be a holy hour. But what happens is the musicians come in and start getting ready and create noise. And my prayer time was ruined. There's always something going on there to take our attention away from Jesus. If people knew what they were doing, imagine if you could really see what was going on. Here's Jesus on his throne being presented to us, but in silence. Imagine if we could actually see what that really is fully. I mean, yeah, we can see it because we can see the host. But imagine if we saw Jesus in all his glory and some knucklehead comes in and starts doing something to, to take attention away from the glory of God because, you know, it's their time to practice music or something else. There's always something. Somebody wants to have a conversation in the back of the church, ignoring the glory of God up on that altar. And it happens endlessly. And it happens with our leaders. Those that are trying to make changes for the good of souls get in trouble and they get canceled. 
It's happened to me. It's happened to many of my friends. It's happening all across our country. There is a cancellation of those that are simply trying to do what is right according, and and they would be defended by canon law if they had that chance to defend themselves. But in the meantime, they've lost their credibility because they've already been removed or whatever. While in the meantime, you have religious leaders across the board breaking every rule in the book when it comes to teaching, when it comes to liturgy. You know, this is why I think of that line about the altar and what the, what the altar represents and the throne of God, etc. People just want to do whatever they want with the liturgy and with the practice of our faith and none of them get in trouble. Maybe one of the reasons they don't get in trouble is because if you started removing people for liturgical abuses, you wouldn't have any liturgies left. And never mind the fact that the Novus Ordo really lends itself. We're seeing that more and more. It lends itself so much more easily to abuses. It doesn't mean that every Novus Ordo Mass has is loaded with abuses, but it lends itself to it with all the options, with all the openings of, well, let's try this, let's do that. And then now we have to interpret, well, are we allowed to do this one? Are we allowed to go there and do this and do that? Um, earlier in this reading, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you lock the kingdom of heaven before men. I'm thinking about our churches being locked. You do not enter yourselves. You do not allow entrance to those trying to enter. So, once again, I uh, heard from somebody the other day that, you know, with companies that lose their clientele, like recently we've had this epidemic of uh, wokeness in various companies, and these companies are now losing all their clientele. People aren't buying from Target or Bud Light. There's so many different companies that are just, you know, the more woke they get, the more they put themselves out there the more they lose out. And we're seeing this more and more across the board. So there's a lot of successful companies because they've made the necessary changes to meet people where they are. Okay, why can't the Catholic Church do that? Why can't we do that? We say, oh, woe is us. Look at these numbers. They keep dropping. They keep falling. We don't have priests. We don't have people. We have to shut down more churches Why can't we use common sense and say, okay, what we've been doing the past couple decades didn't work. I think it's the pride. It's pharisaical pride. Well, there's nothing wrong in what I've done. So therefore it must be everyone else. Oh, this is just the way the world is. This is the way society is. People just aren't interested in religion. Well, what if we did things to make changes or what if we took note of those things that are drawing tons of people. And I go in both directions with this myself. The conservative, well, I don't want to say liberal. It's not liberal. I I go in a direction of traditionalism, but I also go in a direction of contemporariness. In other words, where do I like to go and pray and where do I find places jam-packed with people? Number one, the Tridentine Mass, and there's a lot of reasons for that. People want tradition, they want authenticity, they want the beauty, they want the sacredness, they don't want all the options, they don't want the priest up there being, you know, Bob Barker, Guy Smiley, who at Bob Barker, may he rest in peace, but all the, you know, they they don't want the priest being an entertainer, they want the priest being the sacred minister who does his job. 
They want that. And the guys that are doing that are drawing tons of people and they keep growing. They keep to having to add more masses. But the other direction I go in is praise and worship and a little bit more of a charismatic Protestant type of a style. Um, this is in no way a substitute for the Eucharist and the mass, etc. But when it comes to, I, I mean, and I always say when working in high school ministry, when you have, you know, a thousand kids in front of you that are uncatechized, I don't think we should throw a Novus Ordo Mass at them. Maybe do a Tridentine Mass and don't let them receive communion. Say, hey, this is what sacredness is all about here. But why not just teach them prayer 101? Hey, everybody, we're going to get together. We're going to have a band and we're going to sing songs to Jesus. I remember as a kid, we used to do that. We had choir practice getting ready for the first Friday Mass. And we would love those practices. You just sit there for an hour or two and you sing songs. And it's beautiful and we're worshiping God the whole time. And the Lord is pleased with our worship. That's the thing. When I decide I'm going to go to a Chris Tomlin concert or a Protestant mega service with some friends that happen to be Protestant, I walk in and it's jam-packed with people. They're wearing t-shirts that say Jesus all over them. They're <laughs> right. They There's these big families, just like you find in the Latin mass. And then everybody's worshiping, everybody's praising, and it goes on for hours. And they're just worshiping, they're crying, and they're, they're just pouring out their hearts to the Lord. And they're, you know, uh, I'm not saying it's like confession, but there's an open like, recognition, you know, the altar calls or what have you, where people are acknowledging their sinfulness, they're begging God to forgive them. And the Lord is pleased with that. These are pure hearts of good people that just want to be close to Jesus. You don't find any of that heartfulness in a Novus Ordo Mass. You find people complaining that it went too long. They come late, they leave early, and and they're, you know, the priest is desperately trying to be entertaining and a people pleaser to get their attention. And every week the numbers drop. So anyway, this is what we need. We need worship. We need authenticity of love of Jesus. Whether we go in a contemporary direction, whether we go in the traditional direction, my suggestion is we do both. There's a time and a place for each. You know, why can't we just have some prayer services or Bible studies or rosaries or whatever? Just do stuff that's going to get people to come out and pray. And when you have a party, have it as a function of that, a part of that, not like just a party for the sake of having a party. And then you desperately have to work on it and try hard to make it work. And then the people don't come because, well, you serve chicken instead of turkey and I'm not coming because we always had turkey at this event. Give me a break. Anyway, today's saint is St. Augustine. And, you know, St. Augustine was brilliant and in his earlier days, he wasn't just lustful. We always hear about that, but he was also very prideful. And he would challenge all the priests and the bishops. And part of it was to upset his mother because his mother was praying for him to become a Catholic Christian. And in his early days, he was smarter than all these other people. So sometimes he would win the arguments even though he was wrong. And he later realized he was wrong with all of his false beliefs. And when his mother's prayers were answered... And he finally did convert, largely with the help of St. Ambrose, who was a very strong figure, but still very humble in the way he dealt with Augustine. Augustine finally learned. God opened his heart. His mother helped. St. Ambrose helped. They both parented him into the faith. The mother prayed for 30 years with lots of pain and suffering for her son. And 
when he entered now the fullness of the faith, he became very humble. All he then wanted to do was pray and read and write. He didn't want to debate people anymore. He, uh, but guess what? The church called him forward. They made him a bishop, but he accepted in total humility. It's funny. I mean, we talk about in the psychological world how so many people today are narcissists and how narcissism doesn't really have a cure. But I'll tell you, one cure for narcissism, and I think St. Augustine is a great example of this, is conversion. He became humble. He became obedient. And then he wrote volumes and volumes and volumes, so many beautiful writings about our faith, whether it was scripture, whether it was moral teachings, whether it was doctrine. He wrote so much. But it wasn't in a spirit of, hey, look at me, I'm better than the rest of you. It was just that spirit of, let me use my gifts to help others. So we pray today in the spirit of St. Augustine and in the spirit of St. Monica. We missed her feast yesterday because it was a Sunday. But talk about a saint so desperately needed for our times as we're praying for our young people to come and know the Lord. And we pray to Jesus through Mary, uh, our lady who wants to, in her humble, simple, quiet way, as she always was. She's the most powerful, yet the most simple, humble, quiet, yet she wants to mother all of us. Now she has so much to say, and rightfully so, uh, with all her apparitions and different things, but she wants to mother us into our salvation, and that's what we need to follow, the simple way of prayer, of penance, of good works, of forming community, and not seeking the kingdom simply because we want a position we want to be uh, Lord, lording ourselves and our position over others. So we ask the Lord to show us the way to simple conversion, to humility. And like St. Augustine, may our faith grow and our knowledge of the faith grow and grow and grow until we are in the fullness of it in the heavenly kingdom. Have a great day. God bless you.